Beginner's call. This is your beginner's call. Will all show beginners please make their way to the studio? Tonight's performance of Overstudies is about to begin. Welcome back to another episode of the Overstudies podcast with me, Charlie. And me, Becky. We have got a really, really exciting episode for you today. But before we get into that, don't forget, if you want to find out everything that we're doing, you can head over to our website, www.overstudies.co.uk. Check out all of our past episodes, our latest reviews. It's all on there. Yes. And if you want to get in touch with us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and threads at Earth Studies blog. And you can also find us on Twitter at Earth Studies. Drop us a message, drop us a post, tweet, X, whatever it's called nowadays. And we'll, we love to have a chat. Do you remember when the most confusing part of Twitter was when we all started fleeting? I forgot that that was a thing. It's got worse though. I'd bring, I'd have fleets back in a heartbeat. It's been a wild ride, hasn't it? It really has. Um, a wild ride though is also the career of our guest for this week. Now, this is a guest who we wanted to get on this podcast forever. Um, way back in before the episodic podcast was even thought of, actually, we bonded over a show that today's guest was in. Yes, multiple shows. Mul- yeah, multiple shows. And um, one of those was. Of course, Heather's the musical. I don't think we've mentioned Heather's before. We've never done anything about Heather's before, no. ever. Um, the other one was Vanara. Yes. Interesting enough. And we get right up to date to the most recent run of Death Note, the musical in concert. Yes, we do. So for those of you who haven't guessed it already, we are so excited to bring this interview with Joaquin Pedro Valdez. An amazing performer, has been in everything at this point. Has been in everything and everything still to come. Yes. Very exciting, talented, force to be reckoned with, I think is the best description. If you haven't yet listened to our episode on Death Note, I do highly recommend that you go and pause this podcast, listen to Death Note and then come back because there are a few little spoilers here and there. Yes. Um, and it will make a lot more sense if we've given you that overview. But if you have heard that and if you are familiar with Death Note the Musical, then without further ado... Here we go. So welcome to Overstudies, Joaquin. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you. Yeah, it's great to finally get you on the podcast and we're so excited to talk about just the amazing career that you seem to have had um, over the past, well, forever, it seems. You know, what? I just I literally put up a photo the other day on my socials, just putting all the posters of the stuff I've done uh, here in the UK. And I got I kind of got emotional. I needed to submit it to something. And I was with my missus and I was just sat there looking at it and like it got really emotional for me. And to see that throughout five years here in the UK, since I moved from the Philippines to the UK, including COVID, I've done that. And you don't really plan um, well, you don't really have a clear idea of where your career is going to go when you go into this industry. You kind of just take a job at a time and make sure that you you do the best that you can and make an impression and make sure that you're a professional and a great colleague. But then when you look back and you see exactly how far you've gone, it, it, it makes you really grateful. It humbles you. Yeah. And I mean, I think we should start at the beginning because there's so much that we want to talk about. I think we can get started with Miss Saigon. I believe that was one of the first roles that you had uh, when you came over to the UK. Absolutely. That's the, that's the show that brought me to the UK. Um, So I think I've, I've said this in a lot of interviews or other podcasts, the long and short of it is I was supposed to head to the UK for drama school because I wanted to leave my very corporate life in advertising um, and pursue the one thing that I knew. I've been a professional theater actor since I was 10 in the Philippines and you can't really build a career there. So I was by profession, a director for commercials. So I was making all these fancy adverts for for beauty products and food and soap and detergent and all of these very interesting stuff, which was, cool for for all the gadgets and the toys and the experience that you get to use but it really is quite draining for the artist's soul and once in a while I'd go back to the theater because that's what I knew but you can't really build a career there so we took a leap of faith and I started applying drama schools in the UK and I got in one but then the same year that I got offered a space I got 
called in via email to submit. Back then, it wasn't even Zoom because this was pre-COVID. It was Skype or you send a self-tape. And I, I submitted it and I got accepted into the UK tour of uh, the Miss Saigon Revival, which is going to take me around the UK and some parts in Europe. And I remember going to my wife saying, should I go to drama school or should I go to Miss Saigon? And she was like, well, you're going to go to drama school to book a job like Miss Saigon. So just go straight to the job. And turns out Miss Saigon was like my drama school. So one year touring with one of the biggest shows and the biggest, literally the biggest show, uh, not just in title, but in scale and in, in technicality um, with some of the finest and best uh, actors and stage managers and tech and automation and sound everything um, that you could ask for it was my it was my drama school so yeah from then on I decided that I really was going to try and build my life here and yeah the rest is history I think for, for such an iconic show like you say with Miss Saigon it is obviously such an incredible experience to be part of it it's a show that I've been following for a very long time and I've always had a lot of love for um, yeah. and didn't get to see the tour version, but did see the West End revival and the original, and then the most recent revival as well, which is obviously a complete reimagining and so so special and so much different. Um, like crucible. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. And I, I can't wait to see what happens with, next with that. I don't think that's the last we've seen of, of that revival. But yeah, I think, you know, there are so many incredible shows and that's something that we hear a lot on the podcast is that every now and then a job comes along like Miss Saigon where you might have been in that do I take it or do I do perhaps what the original plan was mm. and actually that is the answer is that sometimes it's just book the job and that in itself can give you that experience that that you needed. Yeah and it was interesting because again I've never come to the UK prior to Miss Saigon and what I know of the UK is London Right. I mean, as a theater kid, you grow up, it's Broadway or London and even New York. I don't know what New York was other than Broadway. But then there's so much to New York other than Broadway. And there's so much to the UK other than London um, and the West End. And I remember when I flew in to the UK, again, it was literally like the, a massive dream come true because I, I grew up in musical theater and I've never stepped foot on in the UK, uh, which, is a, which has such a history and such a deep, deep love for theater. But I didn't end up in London. They flew me straight to Manchester, wherein that's where we started rehearsals and that's where we were gonna, the cast change was gonna happen at the gorgeous Palace Theater uh, in Manchester. Um, and it was, it was strange, because that's like, oh, this is not London. But it's so cool, like red brick buildings and like, you know, it was like a kid in Disneyland. And um, I like and I really have a special spot for Manchester and anything northern in the UK. Because well, after Miss Saigon, I've been touring a lot as well with The King and I and Lion King. And, you know, I, it's nice to revisit cities that I already know. And Manchester is holds a really special place in my heart. Um, all, not only because of the memory, but also just in the North, people are just so lovely and nice. And it was a great handshake to the UK um, and kind of prepared me for when I got to London, which is a very different city. Another city I absolutely love, but a very different one. You've had a similar experience, haven't you? I mean, I am from the North, so this yeah. makes me very, very happy. And <laughs> Manchester has such a great theatre scene that I think people forget about. And yep. it's just so nice to hear other people compliment it in such a great way. So yeah, I'm glad I'm glad that we welcomed you with open arms, really. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was actually considering, uh, like, I mean, between me and my wife, I was thinking of, you know, we were thinking of eventually moving to Manchester um, because we just love it. I mean, it's a nice vibe. It's a great city. I love the Northern Quarter. Yes. Um, I love the Hope Mill Theatre. I love, you know, just the Royal Exchange. I mean, just just the city is so buzzing and 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 gives us a lot of happy feelings. So linking into then kind of your history so far of coming over to the UK, but also uh, your advertising role kind of back in the the Philippines. Was there yeah. anything in particular that really made you go? Performing arts is what I want to do. This is what I love. This is how I want to get into it. Um, what kind of decided that's the career for me? 
Well, that's that's a great question. So professionally, I was I was I started out at 10 years old. My first show that I ever did in in the big scale with an orchestra and, you know, in the Philippines was Evita. I was one of the children in the original staging of Evita. You have these children that are mourning Eva Peron and they sing Santa Lucia and all that. Um, so I was in this massive ensemble. I was 11 years old. Yeah. And I, I got bitten then. And ever since I never stopped. Um, there were lots of shows. The thing is that there's not a massive audience or a market for theater. There's a great appreciation for it, but there's no industry yet that can self-sustain um, in the way that the West has wherein you can sustain eight shows a week and really have a career in the theater world. So I was able to do theater professionally, but also studying um, to work for my university degree and eventually have a job. So all of the professional actors that I worked with had a day job. Yeah. So, I mean, we were double timing. That was just the norm. And rehearsals for a big show like Evita would be after work hours or after school hours. So my regular schedule as a student at 11 years old was I do school, the regular elementary school back home. And then as soon as I'm dismissed at 4 p.m., I go straight to the rehearsal studio and rehearse until 10 or 11 p.m. And then go back to school the next day. Um, so that was a regular thing. And any theater kid from the Philippines would understand that that's how it worked. Um, so having a career to be a full-time actor in the Philippines was never really an option, unfortunately, because it was not something you considered. So I grew up, I went to uni, I, um, I was an architect major for four years in the state university and decided that I didn't want to be an architect and I'm still an artist at heart. And I went to film school in the same university. I went to the film department, became finished as a film major, but Every so often, I would be going back to the theater and I would do theater. I do a show maybe every once every three or four years, which is enough. And because I started really young, I kind of had developed a name for myself as a theater actor. And I, when I say that, it's not I'm not a celebrity. The, the whole celebrity culture in the Philippines is so completely different. Nobody knows who the theater actors are, but the theater companies knew who I was. So every time I decided that I wanted to go back to theater, um, in between work or school, they were welcoming me with open arms, which gave me opportunity to do these great roles, Spring Awakening, uh, Kinky Boots, um, Into the Woods, like great roles. Um, but I would do that uh, sparingly because my full-time job would take precedence and my full-time job was in advertising until I got burnt out in advertising and Again, every two or three years, I would go back to the theater just to regain my soul until I decided I, I don't want to do theater just to regain my soul every two or three years. I want to do this full time. And the only logical way that I could be a full time actor, unfortunately, is to leave. And I, I, I don't speak for everybody. I mean, there's a thriving, exciting electric theater scene right now in Manila, which I'm so proud to see, for, albeit from afar. But for me personally, um, I wanted, there was an element as well of me seeing if I love this craft so much, how far can I go when I'm on the big stage, when I'm amongst the best of the best? And there's something in me that wants to continue to learn. And this is a personal philosophy. It's a, there's a Japanese concept called Kaizen, wherein you keep, keep learning, you keep learning that there's no limit because the minute that you feel that you don't need to learn anymore is the start of your decline. And constantly there's this thing that I want to see. It's not a competitive thing. It's more of how much more can I learn? How much deeper can I grow in my craft? And every opportunity since I came from Miss Saigon all the way until Death Note, it was an opportunity for me to keep growing and to, to learn and to keep stretching myself putting myself in uncomfortable situations so that I come out being better than I was before. I think that's such a great philosophy to have. And, and what you say is so true, not just of, of the theatre industry, but I know for both of us in our professional careers, which had nothing to do with theatre, um, it's exactly the same thing. You know, I 
very much agree with the whole notion of you you're always learning there's always something that you can can keep learning or keep uh, honing your craft and honing what you do and those skills and i think with the opportunity to do it as well with something like the west end stage where there is such a breadth of um shows at the moment there's so much raw talent coming through at, at all levels we have such an exciting time for theater in the uk and that is going to to spread across the world as well you know as you've mentioned so many people look at the uk look at broadway and what they do everybody else follows but we've said before on the podcast um as regular listeners will be aware i think we're coming into another golden age of theater for the uk it's so exciting all of the all of my favorite shows are coming out of the uk and um uh, i'm just so so thrilled that i'm in the center of it just to witness it, it it's funny because i just go and go from job to job needing a job because i need to pay rent you know what <laughs> i mean like i and i of course you go into it because you love what you do yes um and you go full throttle with your audition because you want to book the job you you want to you want to be good at it and you want to be um you want to make an impression because you need the job um and this is this is my trade now i'm a full-time actor now and this is what i do so i need to make sure that i'm match fit and i'm ready to take on whatever responsibility is given to me when i if and when i do book a job but i look back and i'm looking at all of the new stuff and you know someone that just not not too long ago uh, in one of the press nights, someone said, oh, there he is, the, the prince of new musicals. And I'm like, <laughs> what? And then I look back, I'm like, oh, yeah, I actually did a lot of world premieres in the span of like two years, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, it's exciting. So we've touched on Death Note slightly there. We're going to park it just for now, because I think we I, we all want to have quite a big chat about that. We one. have a lot to say, don't we? Yeah. So, but <laughs> on the subject of new musicals both brand new but also returning new should we say the first two shows that we got experience of seeing you in were of course the west end revival of heather's the musical which i believe was also your west end debut it was um and then we went from that show to a very obscure show that nobody but us ever <laughs> seems to talk about um had the hackney empire called venara i think you've got some things you want to say with both of these ones becky i think it would be great to hear like what that experience of taking on quite an iconic role in Heather's. What was that like for you? I'm, I'm going to go a little bit further back, right? And you okay. understand 2021 was bonkers. 2020 was yeah. like the year, right? This is COVID. Everybody's locked down. What is going on? And I think I can talk about it now because um, it's, it's, been, it's been a while. But um, so 2019 was my King and I tour. Yeah. UK tour, international tour, which was cut short a m- a couple of weeks before we were supposed to close. We were we were set to do our last venue after Liverpool. We were supposed to go close to London, which is Wimbledon. Um, but then COVID cut us short. And then what was supposed to happen for me, at least, was my first big London gig, right? My first big London gig was to be the Barbican transfer of Evita, of the Jamie Lloyd Regents Park production. And that was going to be a full circle moment for me because I was going to, I was cover Che and in the ensemble in this really exciting, sexy new revival of Evita. And like what I told you, Evita was my first professional gig back home in the Philippines. So that was going to be a full circle moment for me. And to be in London and in the Barbican theater, like it was just like mind blowing. But then COVID just stopped that. And the Regents Park team had been so lovely. They were so caring and nurturing for everybody. But then basically, we didn't know what happens. Lockdown one happens and everybody's on Twitter. I bought myself one of those fancy mics that you guys have. <laughs> I was doing covers. I don't know. I Everybody learned how to do audio editing and whatever. And I was doing my stuff and on social media, going through this whole kneading bread, making sourdough, the whole shaman. <laughs> and Stephen Dexter, who's a director, um, sends me a private message saying that they're working on a, something to do. When the government issued an allowance to do live performances, but in a socially distant outdoor setting. So Stephen Dexter got, and uh, this is going to be, it's going to tie into our stories later. <laughs> Stephen Dexter 
worked with Lamco Productions. I don't know if you've heard of them. Lamco Productions with Nick Winston, right? Nobody was doing anything. <laughs> the stage, um, Fanny and Stella. Yeah. Right. In the Vauxhall Garden, a Vauxhall Eagle Pub's Garden. Yeah. Right. And it's a six-hander. I was with Jed Bedley, who's now in Wicked on tour. I was with Kurt Cansley. Uh, I was with uh, Mark Pierce from Groundhog Day, Alex Lodge. I mean, we, we were a small troupe that was doing this, and we were the only show in London. And that, for me, more than anything, was an important show because we were showing to 50, 40 people people socially distant in some garden in Vauxhall, this small show because the company just needed to do something and re revive theater. That was 20, 2020 after lockdown one of 2020. Yep. Um, I went home to the Philippines, came back, lockdown two happened, and then nothing even darker than lockdown one. But Fanny and Stella put me on the London map. Because all of a sudden, my name is coming out in these blogs, theater blogs and th theater uh, publications, the stage. Like, what? Like, all of a sudden, <laughs> I'm amongst these guys. Um, and that I got really tickled by that. And then Lockdown 2 and Lockdown, yeah, Lockdown 2 happened. And then my agent, Branya, messaged me on a Sunday saying, remember this tape that you did for the tour? They want to see you submit for the same track. Um, because there's a possible West End uh, run of it, Heather's. I'm like, they already saw me and they I got cut from the tour. So why will they see me again? She's like, just, can you just do it? I'm like, all right, do I submit the same tape? Because it's exactly the same song. And she's like, no, can you, can you tape a new one? And what I did was, I don't know if you've seen it. I sometimes post it on socials because there's no backing track to, to your welcome. Because that's a West End edition, right? I mean, it's not yeah. like the Broadway one. They want to see me for a Ram. But then all of Ram's songs are with Kurt. So what I did was I taped myself and stitched it together. Because again, lockdown helped me hone my <laughs> editing skills. Stitched it together. So I was playing against myself. So it was a Kurt and Ram self-tape. I remember that. It was a Sunday. And then Monday, my agent says that I booked the job. It was, so, it was like the easiest audition ever. And when I got into the room on the first day for, of rehearsals, I was with people I only just read about, you know, these are West End stars, Lauren Ward, Simon Bailey, Jordan Luke Gage, uh, Frankie McCann, Jody, like all of these stars. And I'm like, what is going on? Um, and I'm, it's, it's my first official principal role as well in the West End. And it was, I was, I was mind blown. And what that did mean though, was I just needed to hunker down and work twice as hard because um, I needed to prove that I was amongst the best and that I was worthy of my spot. And, um, and that's what I do. I just work hard. And it was, it was great. It was really, really good. It was character role. It was, I think, you know, although Chris Chung played Kurt in the first West End staging of Heathers, but I played Ram. It's just nice to have an Asian uh, in these roles, in these, you know, very alpha male jocks, you know, I'm sorry for the term, but like Asians are not as sexualized as much. Asian men are not as, you know, looked on as, as, as um, desirable in terms of, you know, not as, not as much. And it's nice to be put in that position wherein we're all about our looks. And then like, it's, it's, it's quite funny because we know Heather's it's funny. And it's taking a piss, but also it's quite empowering because I'm like, oh, I'm there because I'm a jock, which is like unthinkable. Um, I'm not a sidekick. I'm not a, you know, I'm not a best friend um, or I'm not some foreigner. I'm actually an American jock, which is a football star, a popular kid in high school, which is great. All of these memories are coming back and just, you know, just remembering how grateful I was and to be amongst the best. And that was a, another nice way that the universe was kind of affirming my decision to move over here. I think that that whole time, both 
the Heather's run itself, but also the world coming out of lockdowns and, and starting to get back to normal. I mean, there was there was times even us as theatre fans through lockdown were going, are we ever going to get to see another show on the stage? Like, is this it now for theatre? And Heather's was the first show we saw together. It was kind of one of the things that solidified our friendship was mm. that that West End run. And I just remember we both came out of it separately at first and then together just going, that was that was absolutely incredible. And it was every single person in that company were giving their absolute A game. But it was just like you say as well, it was so nice to see such a breadth of talent, experience, backgrounds on there. And for me, that that show as well still remains, you know, obviously we've just lost Heathers now in the West End yeah. kind of for good. But at the time, it, it still for me remains one of the, the most, I think, important productions of the last kind of five years or so, just because it was that, especially a story like Heathers. If you if you know Heathers, you'll know the show. If you're listening to this podcast, you probably do know Heathers. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, for a show that is so varied, I think is the, the best way of putting it. Yeah. Um, it. It was such a great way of coming back um, to theatre kind of after that. And and yeah, you know, to just, I, I still get great memories of it now, as I know Becky does as well. Yeah, we have nothing but love for that production. It's 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 incredible. I still look back and I, I posted a goodbye like thank you Heather's video on my on my Twitter and even on my Instagram and I I unearthed some footage um, that I took of something backstage of us you know you know mucking about and it really got me emotional because it's like it was such a time wherein people one is the actors wanted to do something right Lauren was taking a break theory Evan Hansen wasn't back yet. So everybody was just free. And when actors have nothing to do and then you give them an opportunity to work, oh my God, the, the electricity and the, the A-game, like what you said, is going to be really, really high. Add to that the corn nuts and the fans of musical theater, <laughs> the fans of Heathers that were just literally foaming at the mouth to see something live again. And it was just electric. It was just super like, I personally didn't know what Heather's was before I, before I got into it. I needed to listen to it and I'm like, oh, this is pretty cool. It's pretty banging. But I didn't know the kind of following it had um, until I was actually in it. And yeah, to this day, I have a lot of like, you know, supporters that have come to see me in all my shows and they've seen me first in Heather's and it's pretty cool. It, it's re it's really, I mean, yeah, one of the most unforgettable comments I got on social media was, I don't even know what account that is, is said, whoever's playing Ram Sweeney, please um, have my babies. <laughs> that was like <laughs> unforgettable. That was hilarious. Yeah, so. I think it's interesting saying, you know, people have been to see everything that you've been in because of Heathers. That's actually how we discovered Venara which was very soon after Heather's, um, we went to West End Live yeah. and actually saw a snippet of the show um, that you were performing in. And we're like, you know what? That's actually pretty good. We'll, we'll go and see that. We were probably one of five people that were there, but we really liked that show. I think it was different. It, yeah, we're big fans of just seeing... New theatre. New, new theatre in particular, but like we'll go and we'll go and give anything a try because Thank first you. of all, yeah. it's some of those really small little weird shows. They might not be the best things. And I'm just talking generally now rather than about yeah. Venara specifically, if there's anybody <laughs> listening. Um, but some of those little weird shows that you go and see, then they're, they're not the best shows. They're never gonna be commercially successful or um, you know, great and well known and well remembered, but actually those shows are part of both the creative process for the performers on stage. Um, they can be a, you know, a very different role, allow people to discover their craft more, try something a bit different. Well, Likewise for writers, for other creatives involved, supporting grassroots theater and supporting small shows at their very start that the show itself might be shockingly bad, but it's all part of that process. We were talking, you know, earlier about how you're always still learning and that's something we're so keen on and, mm. and excited by is seeing yes yeah, seeing heather seeing people at the top of their game but also going and seeing these small little shows 
and we've discovered so many people. I mean, we just think about Vanara now. There's so many people who were in that show. That was a, that cast was stacked. That was an incredible cast. Um, again, see, like the the more you guys get to know me, I'm I'm always a glass half full kind of guy. I'm always yeah. going to see the best in everything. Even if the show didn't do too well, you know, if it didn't sell or whatever, there's always something good to pull out of it. And I remember that that was a that was casted by Harry Blumenau, who also cast Death Note. Wink, wink. Right. <laughs> also, I remember Nick Winston um, messaging me again because Nick Winston is London based mainly, and I was always on tour. I was always I was always booked. So after Heather's, I booked Banara Strait and then Lion King on tour. So. And he was always asking me, what are you doing next? I'm like, I'm like, oh, you're not going to be in town. But he did come to see Vanara. He asked me, can I come see Vanara? And I, that actually surprised me. And he came to, to Hackney Empire to see it. So these are relationships, you know, you form and you don't take for granted with whatever opportunity you have. Again, I met Nick when I was doing that pub show in Vauxhall. You know what I mean? And it's a relationship that has only flourished since then. Um, and I did like Vanara because the music was incredible. Again, yeah, absolutely. That song that you saw. So I remember clear, clear as day. Heather's closed, right? And Western Live was the week after. Yeah. Right? It was literally the week after at the Haymarket. Uh, Heather closed at the Haymarket, and Western Live was a week after. On the week that Heather's was closing, I got a phone call because I already booked Vanara, and I got a phone call um, from my agent saying that the Vanara team wants you to do Western Live. Like what? Um, yeah, they want you to sing um, the man's the man who she once saw in me. But I'm like, that's not the character. That's not my character. Yeah, because because they're having trouble with the actor that was supposed to play it and can't come to West End Live. Da da da. And the writer, the composer, Gianluca, wants you to sing it. I'm like, all right, all right, let's do it. And it was the most nerve wracking thing ever. West End Live I, again, something I've only seen on YouTube something I've only read about, um, it happened. And again, things fall into place and you just got to be ready when these things fall into place. You can't run away from it and say, oh, I'm not ready for it. You just got to be ready. And th that's that's another, I guess, uh, thing about me. It's like, you put it in front of me. I'm like, let's jump in, you know, like just do or die. And I guess it, 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 it I, I, that's one of my favorite uh, performances and memories to date as well um i was nervous as mm, because <laughs> like that was incredible to see that crowd and you know so yeah and then vanara happened incredible cast uh, you know kaylee jacob uh oh my god emily from new york we we it was an incredible cast shem was in it as well um and i became great friends with jacob and shem and Kaylee as well from that process. And they're all stars now. I mean, they're all, Shem is in Jesus Christ Superstar. Kaylee's announced as one of the queens. Jacob's still doing Heathers, which is his big call. <laughs> and I will take claim for this. And he can't refute this because it was in the dressing room of Hackney Empire where they hadn't cast um, Heathers yet uh, for yeah. the palace. And I'm like, Jacob, did they submit you? Because Jacob loves Heathers. Like he's obsessed with Heathers. I go, Jacob, you'd be a great JD. I said that. And he's, he's like, oh, really? I'm like, you, you gotta, you gotta submit yourself for for JD. And true enough, he went to his agent, got submitted. He finally got an in invite from Paul Taylor Mills to audition and all that. And then he booked um Beleaguered Geek, I think that was his first track. Yeah. Cover JD. And then eventually now he's playing JD. So I'm like, I called that. That was me. <laughs> Uh, he, he owes me because I like I was the one that was like insisting that he put himself out there. Um, so, yeah, so I'm I have loads of memories from Vanara. Um, not every show will be ideal. Actually, no show will be ideal. No show is perfect. There, there's yeah. not even the big commercial ones. But I think every show is necessary, not just for the actor's growth, but for the there's a symbiosis and there's this environment which I love about the UK um, where it's theater. Anything can exist simultaneously, right? You have, you have the phantoms, you have the lion Kings in, in the Lyceum, you have the Les Miserables. And these are the main 
arteries, I think, of the bloodline of musical theater, because they, they're there for a reason. These are classics. But then you have the smaller veins that reach out into newer musicals, into smaller venues. I just saw Ride at the Southern um, Elephant. It was phenomenal. You know, then you have the Venaras that will be like, uh, hit or miss, but then you have incredible talent on it. I think there's a space wherein all of it can exist. And I'm just glad to be witness and to be a partaker of all of that. Yeah, it links into what I was saying earlier on completely. You know, we we have seen all sorts of theatre and we've seen stuff that we've come out of and gone, that's really not for us. Like we did not, we, we appreciated the art, but we'll we'll leave that show there i think but also you've got to see the stuff that you don't like yeah. or the stuff that doesn't excite you as much and i'm sure it's probably the same as a performer sometimes you've got to take that job that maybe wouldn't be your first choice but it then makes you both appreciate the stuff you do love but it can help you see the the stuff you do love in a different light like we go out of our way to always try and find something good to say about every show about every performance even the stuff that we come out of and go really really not for me it is a case of like right what's one thing that actually was fantastic about it you guys are like the best audience that we can have like we're so grateful for audiences like you that are willing to spend money hard-earned money on something that you're not sure of you know and and i think that's what i love i mean that's what i love about the theater audiences it's like you take a risk i mean i just did killing the cat at riverside studios which was like again reviews wise people were really hot and cold about it but i i mean we would have an audience that was just 10 people 15 people and we'd have a conversation about it after and people some people really really loved it and you can't again as an actor you can't judge the work that you're in i mean i mean you know how there's a saying where you can't have an opinion about the character that you play because once you have that opinion you detach yourself from that character um, in the same way, like for the show that you had, you need to just, you need to be the number one champion of it. Um, and it's hard. It's not an easy feat, especially when, you know, it's not being received well. But if we did it all the time to just be received well, then then we wouldn't be the artists that we are. Um, you got to take some risks and some risks will pay off. And that's a really nice way. I was going to save it a little bit later, but actually this is the perfect off now to go into the show that I know we all want to talk about. And I know that a lot of people are going to be listening, which is, of course, Death Note. Yeah. Now, this is a show that we very much took a chance on um, because we had, we're, we're very honest about like everything yeah. we do, everything we see. Um, we obviously knew it was happening because we we keep our eyes on on what's going on. But neither of us have read the manga. Neither of us particularly know much about manga in general. So it was like, oh, that's cool. We're going to just like leave it. Because obviously yeah. this was really early on when it, the Palladium run got announced. And it was like, we don't know anything about it. We've got so much else that we want to see because there is so much great theatre at the moment. Um, and then it was actually West End Live this year yeah. where we got a taste of um, yourself and uh, Francis Mayley McCann yeah. doing uh, a couple of songs. And we were like, how who do we need to bribe <laughs> to get tickets to this um but obviously palladium run completely sold out oh and we God. were just like well it's not gonna happen <laughs> and then the lyric run got announced and we were like straight away i think i just rang you and was like we need we're booking this now like <laughs> i this is gonna sell i was on holiday and literally came back off holiday and then went straight to the theater to see the show because like this is my only chance to see it so i'm i'm rushing across london to get there love that love that um and it was without a doubt one of the the best things we've seen ever actually i would go as far as saying people listening to this episode will probably have already listened to our death note episode which went out a, a, a previously to this um so we won't we won't go too much into kind of our thoughts on it beyond okay. what's, what's necessary because if people want to know it they can they can go and listen to our previous podcast but it was just such a incredible show like as i say we we had no idea what we were going into and we stayed very in the dark so didn't really look into much about what the storyline was um didn't kind of try and listen to anything beyond that that bit that we heard at, at west end live yeah but i had a couple of uh, friends and i know you have a couple of friends as well who have read the death note manga and are, are familiar with the source material and all of them were kind of saying this is going to go one of two ways it's either going to be very gimmicky very just you know a musical for the sake of doing a musical yeah. or it's going to be 
phenomenal. And and it was, I think, but from the start, both of us were just sat edge of our seats, just like, <laughs> this is wow. Um, you know, that you had the the set design um was incredible, lighting design, costuming, fantastic, and of course, then an incredible cast, um, all at the top of their game. Um, yeah, I just I I'm sad I only got to see it once. Like, you know. <laughs> oh, I'm getting goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps. That's amazing. <laughs> That's so good. So what was it like taking on that role of someone who's shall we say got interesting moral choices <laughs> this is you know what light yagami is probably an actor's dream yeah because there's so much nuance to him there's so much depth and i i know the source material i i'm a fan of the source material um um and, and anime in general i'm a fan of anything japanese i i love uh tokyo that's one of my spirit cities like next to london if i could live and if i could speak japanese i would be living in tokyo um and i've been there a couple of times which is great um so i just love the source material and then one being a being a super stagey musical theater uh kid i found out about this unofficial demo that's been leaking through the interwebs with jeremy jordan singing these incredible bangers um and a couple of other broadway stars on that demo again it's an unofficial unreleased but leaked through the internet um and of course you know if you're any any musical theater tenor would be a fan of jeremy jordan so i was really like listening to it, like, oh that's pretty good i mean uh, and then next thing i know it's translated in japanese and translated in south korean and that's that's pretty much the last i heard about it um until nick winston i get nick winston <laughs> Uh, sends me a message uh, early this year, as soon as I was finishing Lion King on tour, sends me a message and says, have you heard of Death Note? And he's in the middle of Bonnie and Clyde. I'm like, have I heard of Death Note? Yeah. <laughs> he goes, what's your highest note? I'm like, I don't know. Because I'm not one of those that know my highest note. Like, I just yeah. I just go into it and just do it. I mean, that, that makes me sound really arrogant. But no, I, if I think about it, then I probably won't get there. You know, yeah. yeah. So I'd, I'd rather not know what I'm singing. I just rather sing it. Um, so I'm like, I don't know, but I think I, I think I have it. Uh, I know the music. And he's like, all right. And then I didn't hear from him again. And the next thing, you know, you know, made an offer and all that. But yeah, Light Yagami is an actor's dream because it's the light and shade of it. You start out loving him and you end up hating him. Um, how many characters like that in the musical theater canon do you have? There's not much. Um, I, I would, I reckon Sweeney Todd, maybe, uh, but not even, you know, yeah. Todd, you still kind of love him at the start and you still end up loving him because it's so bonkers and dark and comedic. I would say Macbeth was probably the closest, uh, comparison wherein he starts out noble and he's a respected, he has well, in, he has well, good intentions and he's well-meaning but then he gets corrupted by his own desire for power. And that's light Yagami. Um, and that, that's why I love how it, Death Note, the musical has a contribution, not just in a novel sense, wherein, oh, it's a musical based on a manga slash anime, but it's actually contributing really fleshed out characters and interesting characters to the whole musical theater canon and bringing about a brand new audience like i have never seen an audience like this it was such an interesting space to be in. this is something i commented on right at the interval when we were seeing it is that you had the traditional musical theater types the likes of us in there who will go wild for you know all the musical theater tropes the, the yeah. classic ones that are in a show like that but we were actually fairly surrounded by people who were clearly there as fans of the manga and having that whole new audience come in and and be exposed to that and if that's the only musical they're ever going to see then that's great but equally if that then brings them into musical theater in general yeah. you know as we keep coming back to because we have to the west end is in a challenging position at the moment coming out of covid and it is going to be for a while and we're still seeing shows that are struggling so a to have shows selling out that's fantastic and and struggling to meet the demand that's there for it but again if that is then bringing people to come and see other shows that's that's only a good thing and i think you know 
for us that that was it is we were going in expecting you know is this just going to be lip service is is this a bit of just a grab to to get that manga fan in and and to to do something but it isn't it's a fully fleshed musical in its own right and I would be shocked if this is the last we've seen of it in the West End, to be quite honest. We're we're just patiently waiting, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> waiting for some news. I mean, I think Stage Door as well was such an experience um, doing it because I would have, people would tell me that they, when the, they watched it at the Palladium and then when the Lyric Run was announced, they bought one ticket for every show on the Lyric. So these are young people that are spending money to watch all seven shows. And then I go further down the line in stage door and I, I meet someone with a very thick Spanish accent saying, I flew from Spain just to watch this, right? And they've watched it three times in that week. And then Germany, and then California, and then a couple from New York, and then some from Italy literally flew on the day, tagged me in social media saying, I'm on the plane because she's watching the show that evening and flying back the next day. I've never seen this kind of reaction to any show, not even Heather's. Um, Heather's has a loyal fan base. And it, I mean, it's, I mean, it's great. Uh, but then the amount of like dedication and the thing is this audience knows these characters more than we do. Yeah. So there's, there is that pressure because they sit down, you open the house an hour early because they're there waiting for these characters to come to life, characters that they grew up with in their teens. We, I've, I've met families that came, uh, fathers and mothers bringing their kids because the kids grew up watching Death Note and knowing Death Note. And they're there eagerly waiting for you to do the best job. And that's a, it's a weird and very welcome energy in the, in the theater wherein the audience wants you to do good. And they want you to flesh out these characters that they've loved so long. People coming, having all the, ta all the characters of Death Note tattooed on their bodies. So this is a brand new audience. And for it to, it wasn't, it, you know, it's not a theme park show. You know, and yeah. th that's a tendency for any like, you know, musical based on a big brand or equity uh, to become like, a, oh, let's just make a musical because that's, that's, let's ride on the fandom of it. But this wasn't, th this is a fully fledged, really thought out, carefully, you know, um, researched and carefully written, musically written as well. Like, I mean, the songs in the show are incredible. Oh, so, um, so good. Yeah. So, and that's why the fans love it. It's because we, we honored how sophisticated the material is and we honored how deep and profound their love for it was. And, you know, it's like seeing your favorite Marvel movie, Marvel comic or Marvel character done justice on the big screen. That's I can, that's the, that's the feeling that we get from the supporters. And it feels like it's just the beginning. That must be such an exciting job as an, an actor and as a performer and just bringing some of those songs to life as well, because there are the music is incredible in the show and i would just i'd love to know what your favorite number actually is in the show because we we have some favorites don't we um but i think oh, there's some curious. really strong yeah. numbers that to be honest i'm expecting to be in audition repertoires yeah. for years and years to come <laughs> so i just love to know like what what sticks out for you in the show obviously hurricane will play a very special part um I'm a musical theater guy, and but I'm a very contemporary musical theater guy as well. Um, although my next one is, I would say legit, what I'm doing next, I wouldn't say legit, modern, almost legit, I can't say yet, but, <laughs> but then the, my wheelhouse is really, I'm, I have a very contemporary sound, um, being in like a boy band before and then a jazz band. So I have all of this, the, the rock influences as well. So Hurricane for me is like so beautifully written because it's very musical theater in terms of its I want-ness. But also it has this, it's a banging like score for any tenor to sing. And it's just, it just soars. And it once you write it, it's just going to keep going and it's going to keep soaring. So I love that. And then... Frank Wildhorn and his genius and Jack Murphy write these two 
incredible alpha male characters that are battling it out in the dramaturgy of it and the narrative of it, but also battling it out vocally. Um, so my next favorite to do is the tennis game, is playing his game. Because, again, there's not many musical theater moments wherein you need to be 100% committed to the work, body, mind, soul, spirit, vocally. And not just the work or the songs that you're singing, but with another actor. And I talked to Dean a lot about this. For that number to work, even if we're on the surface competing with each other, for that number to work, it's, this, it's all the support. We're breathing together. We're looking at each other. We can't go off or cut off uh, sooner than the other guy. So we're literally supporting each other. Um, there's like a little wink that we do, you know, when we're sustaining a note. And it's just, it's just magic when, it, when all of it comes together. It's muscular. You can't do it marked because if you do it marked, you're probably not going to be able to sing it. And it's it's one of those weird, you know, you know that you know those things in science museums where it's a air pressure and the ping pong ball is just floating right under the air pressure. You need to sustain that tension because that's the only way that number will work. Um, and if one of us really slacks off a little, just even just a little bit, everybody, the whole number will forget lyrics. Will the audience will feel it? We'll miss our cues. We'll miss our you know our 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 choreography and all that. So. It's one of those magic moments in musical theater, I think. Yeah, I think that was the, both of those ones where I was going to say Hurricane and um, playing his game. I think both are just incredible moments. Hurricane, I was I was actually surprised because that was one of the songs we'd heard um, at West End Live. I was surprised it was so early in the show. And it makes sense when you in the context and when you're watching it. But actually, when it first started, I was like, this field like from West End Live, this felt like much later on in the show. And I was like... Like an act one finale, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and part of me at, at the time was a little bit like in the moment, I was like, oh, I'm a bit deflated now because how how are we going to get better than this kind of number if it's it out the way? So, uh, and exactly, and it does. <laughs> and then you've still got right late into the end of Act 2, you've still got numbers like playing his game that are yeah. so technically... And as like as you've just explained, getting that insight just makes so much more sense of what it is because it is you're absolutely right. If you lose that being so in tune with each other, the whole number's gonna fall apart because the timing is so critical and the the emotion and that mm. that that duel, that that fight almost is one of the the big kind of finales of the entire production yeah um and i was just there like i think i was just sat forward like gripping the armrest just like <laughs> oh my god this is absolutely fantastic and yeah everybody on that stage just did such a fantastic job and it was really nice as somebody there's not many shows now in the west end big shows that we don't know something about because mm. even if we've not seen it you can't have an eye on West End Theatre. You can't come and talk to people like yourself without having to have a background of big name shows. Yeah, and then for something like Death Note to just be able to come in and sit there and be genuinely like, I have no idea what's going to happen <laughs> next. Um, it was it was such an exciting exciting show, and I am like I say, I am gutted. I only got to see it once. What are your favorites, Becky? I those are two of my favorites as well. Um, I. I think the same thing for me is I'm very a big fan of like rock opera mm. um, and big rock opera sounds. And I think the whole show just felt like a rock opera. And those moments where that really came out were, you know, Hurricane just, it was just one of those moments where I was like, wow. Um, and I think it just keeps building and building and gets better and better as the show goes on. What what day did you guys watch um, at the Lyric? It was the the Saturday evening. That was a very emotional hurricane for me. I was, I don't know why. It just, you know, it. it I was in tears in, at the end of that Saturday evening show. I was like, so do I. Um, uh, yeah, it was a very emotional hurricane for me. But also, like, if you see the, like, when we did the sits probe, oh, my gosh. I've never in my life been in a sits probe like that. Um, never. And I've been in big shows. Like, I've been with... Lion King and you know King and I has a great grand Rodgers and Hammerstein sits probe as well and then you have um 
Miss Saigon. But then something about Death Note, it was a 16-piece band with the, we had a percussion guy who is a star. If you would see him, it's a good thing he's not on stage because if he's on stage, nobody's going to watch us. <laughs> he, he's a performer in his own right. And he had massive chains, like sounds that I would never hear in in musical videos. Like what is going on? And it was so electric and exciting. Um, yeah, it was just like un unbelievable. It, it is a rock opera. Um, the way it ends, our la my last song with L uh is one of my favorites to sing as well because it's just it feels like it comes out of nowhere but then it's just there's something about it and that's very frank wildhorn you think hurricane is it he'll pull out another thing he'll pull out another thing and it just keeps getting bigger and better and it, it's a great it's a great score one of the things i really loved about the score the most is it's quite traditional in every character has their own little motif, but it's also then the way that in particular, like Ellen Light's motifs play off and then start to come together and all that kind of thing. And then things like, you know, where is the justice is a recurring kind of reprise throughout the show, but everyone is slightly different and it, everyone is, it, it's in there for a reason. It's progressing the narrative it's keeping things going it's not just oh you know we can't be bothered to write a song so let's just stick this in as a reprise yeah. it's no these are four or five i think different versions of it all in their own right and it's very hard to get buy-in like speaking as an audience member if you are just hearing the same motifs and the same songs again and again and again it is like you know what is going like i don't need yeah. to have just the same thing and being able to have the same sounds and those motifs that are very unique like you knew when light was singing or you knew when l was singing or when they were going to be appearing mm. but then when they start for instance in playing his game when those those motifs start to blend together that is for me just little things like that is is makes me so excited and there was just moments i kept going to becky like i've just got goosebumps again at this point <laughs> because yeah it was such a special show if we can't get enough we want more we need it you can tell that everybody involved in this show from you know the writers through to the the directors the performers the creatives creating everything everybody cares so much about it and everybody has has gone in like we were saying we want to do this properly. We want to do this as a show in its own right and not just um, yeah. as, for the and sake of it. And you can feel that. Like even in the room, if if I can, I, I don't stop talking about this to people who ask because even the rehearsal room, the producers, they're there, they're visible. They're just as excited as, as the actors. They're, you know, they're always checking up on us. It was not an easy process because obviously this is a concert just to remind everybody it's a concert um <laughs> even if it didn't look like one or feel like one it is a concert um so and and the rehearsal process was very quick um and not not comfortable at all but everybody just rose to the occasion and you could feel from our producers down to our you know, to everybody working like wardrobe, our dressers, everyone. And I, I don't like using that, that visual of top to bottom, but across the board, I think that's a better description of it. Yeah. Everybody was just invested and wanting it to be good. And the vibe backstage, the band, they didn't want to do anything else. The wardrobe team, they didn't want to do anything else. We didn't want it to end. Um, and it's such a nice feeling and a nice environment to go to work, even if you're absolutely knackered and shattered at the end of the day. You're so tired, but you're also so full and fulfilled. Um, and that's a nice feeling to have. It sounds like such an incredible experience. And yeah, we will be keeping our eyes out for any news in the future. I, I would definite. just say, um, fasten your seatbelts. That's all I'm, I'm going to say. Um, I mean, I, I, it's clear, I think all three of us could talk about Death Note all day long. Forever. But, yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe maybe if there is Death Note news, we'll have to do a part two. Who knows? Yeah. So just to, to kind of finish things off then and, and start to wrap up, we've got a couple of questions now that we are, like to ask everybody who comes on the Overstudies podcast. The first one that we're going to go with, if you had to pick one moment from any like musical, any stage show that brings a rush of serotonin to your brain that makes you very happy, very buzzy, what would that moment be? It would be the moment 
um, right before I walk in darkness for the start for the start of Death Note during the whole and uh, I wouldn't call it an overture, but this is the, the first few chords that are played right before Akira. Um, yeah, I walk center stage dark in darkness and it's always a nice moment to, I really am very aware of my breath. I ground myself because I know it's going to be an incredible ride for the next two hours. And if you could pick any role and you're not allowed to say Death Note, Oh, okay. If you could pick any role in any musical theater show, what would that be? Um, I hung up my, you know, I packed away my vision board for dream roles in COVID. <laughs> <laughs> I had a whole list, you know, and funnily, a lot of those, I wouldn't say a lot, but a good handful of those post-its with dream roles, I actually ticked. That was pretty cool. Like Simba was on there. I'm like, oh, that's pretty cool. But anyway, I packed a lot of those dream roles because I realized during COVID that, yeah, you can aspire and have dream roles, but then sometimes you're limited by your own ambition and things that you do, you don't know how how one thing will have a domino butterfly effect to another. I didn't know what Fanny and Stella was, but Fanny and Stella opened up my relationship with Nick Winston. I didn't know what Heather's was, you know? So, I mean, these would not have been my dream role. So I kind of packed away my dream roles, um, but just for the fun of it, I actually want to do, I don't know what role in particular, but I do want to do something in Stratford-upon-Avon with RSC. I do, yeah. want, I do want to step on the national theater stage. Um, and I do want to step on the globe. I'm surprised no one's actually given that as an answer before. You know, Shakespeare, there's some some great, great characters in there. And I think great characters that are fun to unpack as well, that have such interesting motivations. And that, that that's that's what turns me on the most as an actor. Those are the characters that turn me on the most as an actor. Like, and that's why I love like Yagami. It's he's Shakespearean. Yes. In many yeah. ways. Um uh, yeah. So it's it's a tragic fall of this hero to turns an anti-hero which is great dream roles are one thing and i and obviously speaking as people who are not in the industry and are not performers maybe one day we could have been but not anymore yeah uh, although <laughs> equally never say never <laughs> never too late um, never too yeah. late um but it's like even for us like i think we've both got roles that if we have the talent we would absolutely love to perform but equally it is those new shows that you can't aspire to a role that you don't even know exists yet yeah but can be so you know incredibly fascinating we think about some of the brilliant massive shows that have just come to light in the last five years even since COVID and it's like those roles nobody knew about you know or if they were they were so niche roles like even Heather's arguably mm. um things like Death Note um there are so many shows even Six like Six is still a relatively new show yet now so many people aspire to play it but yeah. when I was growing up there was no Six so it's yeah. just I, I think things like that are so fascinating Kind of linking into that then, do you have any advice for aspiring performers who, who are out there who are kind of thinking, I want to get on that stage or you know, is this a career for me almost? Yeah, uh, just keep doing it. Just keep showing up. Um, keep showing up. That's what I did. I showed up to auditions I didn't want to. I showed up to uh, auditions and shows wherein it was uncomfortable. You got to keep showing up because it's, it's in that grit. You got to be a grafter in, in, in the work because you're always going to come out a little bit better than you did if you, than if you didn't. You know what I mean? Um, there's something that you're going to learn, whether it's a technical thing about your craft, your voice, your, your being emotionally present, your choices as an actor, your singing, um, your choreography, your dance, your dance pickup. You're always going to learn something and you're going to take away something good. Or even if you don't, you know, or even if it seems like you don't, in your person, you're, you're going to learn patience. You're going to learn how to be a team player. You're going to learn um, compassion and empathy. Uh, you're going to take away something that's going to make you a better overall holistic performer. And um, don't aspire. This is what this I tell myself all the time. Don't aspire for the applause aspire for the process and that's what i love 
I love the process more than anything else. I think that's a really great answer. And I think, you know, just doing things because you love it is so crucial in any kind of industry, but particularly in the performing arts. So I think a lot of us could actually take that advice away. I think that's advice that that can actually stretch just be like beyond the industry and just kind of to life in general is is you're absolutely right. Love the love the process and and see what happens. So final question then, and this is something we ask every single person um, who comes on the Overstudies podcast. We're making a bit of a, a menu, um, as it were. <laughs> um, and that is the most important question that we're going to ask you today. What is your go-to coffee order? Black Americano. Black Americano. Black <laughs> as it can get. No sugar, no milk. I like it really, really strong. Um, and if I'm very, very cheeky, I'll ask for an extra shot of espresso. But yeah, I like I if I can get caffeine straight into my veins. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but that is my go to coffee art. Very, very solid order. I think um, probably would send me into a heart attack. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm a very sweet coffee girl. So I'd be like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> but sometimes you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, Joaquin, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It has been an incredible journey going kind of through your career, going through Death Note in particular. Um, and I can't wait to see both the future of Death Note, but also what you're going to do next. And we will be there in the front row, yeah. even if it is just five of us again, <laughs> like it was for Nara. Um, yeah, it's good. It's uh, it's going to happen uh, sooner than than later, which is exciting. And if I see you at stage door, please just remind me well, I, I know how you guys look like, but then let me <laughs> give you a hug. And it's nice to chat stagey things. And thanks for having me. I love these conversations. What an absolute pleasure it was speaking to Joaquin. I feel like that was such a great chat about so many great shows that I think we could have easily talked for an extra hour. Oh, 100%. Just on Death Note, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, we might we might have to get a part two in. We might. Um, I mean, who knows? Maybe there's going to be some news about Death Note in the near future. Anything could happen. Don't we know it? Yeah. Don't we know it? Yeah. Let's remember the time that we had Laura Dornpire on the show and talking about dream roles of Anne Boleyn and then turns out she'd already booked it. Sprinkling some little uh, teasers in there. So who knows? Anything could happen. Anything really could happen. Thank you so much as always for tuning in to the Overstudies podcast. We really do appreciate all of your support, all of your um, kind comments and indeed you're just taking the time to listen to be quite honest. Yes, we do this for the love of it, but obviously if other people are enjoying and uh, getting in the Overstudies fandom, are we allowed to call it a fandom now? I called it a fandom a few weeks ago, so I think we're we're there. We'll just we'll we'll go with it. We'll, um we'll... we do love hearing from you all, so make sure that you do get in touch. Yes, get in touch with us. You can go onto our website, www.overstudies.co.uk. There's a cheeky little contact form there. Or you can email us, stage at overstudies.co.uk. You can also find us on Instagram and threads at Overstudies blog. And we are still on Twitter, clinging on for dear life. You can find us at Overstudies. Yeah, and make sure you give us love as well wherever you get your podcast. Just search Overstudies. Give us that subscribe button. Mash it away so that you are the first to know about all of our latest episodes as they drop. And of course, if you can, leave a little review, leave a little comment because it all brings more people into the Overstudies fandom. It really does. But for now, until the next time, it's goodbye from me, Charlie. And goodbye from me, Becky. We'll see you soon. See you next time.